Freedom works. It works. Oh, man, it's so good to hear you guys sing this morning. Isn't that awesome? Um, just, I just feel good this morning. Um, in fact, I didn't want it to stop. Ty, you could have gone on for 30, you could have cut into my time, and uh, I would have been okay with that. We're, we're continuing in a series titled Freedom Works, and this morning we see a couple Christians who are in conflict. Now, have you ever been in one of those situations where you weren't really a part of of the relationship of the people? Maybe it was a a husband and a wife or a mother and a daughter or a couple people at work and and this conflict arises and one person is sort of calling the other person on the carpet over something and you're just kind of standing there and, and have you ever been in one of those situations? It starts getting awkward and you kind of really wish you weren't there and, and you don't like what you're seeing and you're uncomfortable. And, and I, I've been in one of those situations that my face starts getting hot. My blood pressure goes up. I want to crawl under the table. Um, I don't know if people wanted to crawl under the table in, in this conflict that we're going to look at this morning. Um, but there's two men involved in this conflict. And we're going to be looking at, uh, looking at these two men. We're going to first look at Peter. Then we're going to look at Paul. We're going to see... Um, we're going to see what Peter did, why he did it, and the result. And then we're going to look at what Paul did, why he did what he did, and the result of what he did. So let's, if you haven't already, turn to Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to finish out the chapter 2 of Galatians 11 through 21. We'll be uh, eventually reading all of them, but we're just going to read a few verses here at the beginning today. Because today, here we see Christians in conflict. Now, we've there are some, and maybe you have thought this yourself, who believe that Christians shouldn't disagree with each other. I mean, we should all just get along. Um, we should all just agree with everything. And, and that if there is disagreement, if there is conflict, then there's something wrong. It's just an unchristian thing to do. But, but I think that's further from the truth, and, and I think we're going uh, to see that as we look at this today. Let's, let's begin reading in, in Verse 11 of Galatians chapter 2. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, Cephas here is Peter. I don't know why the translators chose to to translate it Cephas here instead of Peter, um, but that's who that is. Peter came to Antioch. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived... He began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish Customs. So the first person that we're going to look at this morning is Peter. We're going to look at Peter. Now, Peter was one of the original disciples. He was an apostle. Last week, we saw him referred to as a pillar in Jerusalem. He was highly regarded. Um, he was an apostle with Paul and Titus and Barnabas. And last week, we saw the, the initial conversation between Paul and Peter and these men and, and the outcome of that meeting. Now, Peter obviously didn't always stay in Jerusalem because at this time in our passage, we find Peter in Antioch. He is in the, the capital of Syria and Asia. And I don't know, maybe they needed additional teachers, disciples. I don't know why Peter is there, but he is. Because verse, uh, verse 12 says that he used to eat with the Gentiles. So he's eating with them. Now, this is important. Um, 
Because we can extrapolate that when Peter first arrived in Antioch, even though he was a Jew in a Gentile place, he's hanging out with the Gentiles. He's gotten over his, his avoidance of Gentiles because what he has learned um, from, from God in regard to them, that God does not find favor one person over another. Um, now, one of your, if you're in a different translation, it may say that Peter was in the habit of eating meals with them. So this is not just a one-time thing. It just wasn't a, a one-day drop-in visit. Peter has spent some time here, and, and he's okay with hanging out with the Gentiles. They're watching football games together, and they're eating Sunday dinner together after, after they go to church, and, and they may even be participating in communion together, celebrating the Lord's Supper. So what did Peter do? to receive the ire of Paul. He was enjoying the freedom of the gospel in how he was living, but what did he do? So let's look at what he did. Paul says in verse 12, For before certain men came from James, but when they arrived... Um, so Peter was eating with the Gentiles before these certain men from James arrived, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. So something in Peter changed. He's hanging out with them. They're eating together. But now he's avoiding them. He's, he's not talking to them at the post office. He's avoiding them. He sees them walking down, down one aisle at Walmart and he goes to another aisle. That's what he's doing. He's withdrawing from them. He doesn't want to even touch them or be around them. Now, at one time in his Jewish beliefs, he had believed that you could become contaminated by coming into contact with a Gentile, with someone, um, one, one of the sinful people, the sinful nation. Um, but um, Peter, who was a Jewish Christian in, the, in his time here in Antioch at the beginning, was eating meals with them. Now, in Acts chapter 10, we're told of the vision that God gave Peter confirming the fact that God does not show favoritism. Um, this is important for us to know. Peter acknowledges in Acts chapter 10, the end of it, and in verse 11, what God had taught him. That in fact, there was only one gospel, as we concluded last week. And that is, to which we can be saved is by grace. It's through faith. Not what we do, but our belief in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But old habits are hard to break. And even we can make strange concessions in times of pressure and stress and anxiety. And the pressure was being put on Peter. Peter's actions fell out of step with the gospel. They weren't the real thing. They were making the gospel look real. They were saying this is the real thing, but it wasn't the genuine thing. Now, my niece sent me a picture. She was just recently in Greece. And she saw this, and I thought it was pretty interesting. What does that even mean, right? Genuine fake watches. Um, we don't just have fake watches. We have genuine fake watches, right? Um, they were being honest. Yeah, they're not the real thing, but you can make people think they're the real thing because they look like the real thing. And that's exactly what's happening right here. The Judaizers are saying, you know what, this... This is the genuine, and Paul understands it to be the fake thing, but they're saying this is the genuine thing. You've you got to add on this circumcision to your belief in Christ in order to be saved. And, and Peter is falling into this. 
Now, why did he fall into this? Look at verse 12. It says, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Now, is Peter changing his mind and his understanding of the gospel and, and what it is? I don't think so. Um, had he lost his memory in regards to the vision that he had received from God? And, and had he forgotten so quickly about the conversion that, that he watched happen in Cornelius, a Gentile, in Acts chapter 10 and 11? I don't know how he could. So why did he separate himself? Paul says he began to just to, to draw back and separate himself because he was afraid. He was afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group. And I don't know if, if it's just the number of people, if they were physically threatening him with his life. I don't know. Maybe it was just the herd kind of mentality. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, maybe some of you younger kids in, in the room here, you're at school and, and, and a bunch of the kids in your class are doing something maybe on the playground and you know that it's not right, but, but they're all doing it and, and you, don't wanna, you, know, be, you don't want them to look at you and say, well, uh, who are you to not participate or we're not going to talk to you if you don't do this with us. And so what do you do? You do it. You get pressured into it. You're, you're afraid to, to stand up against what they're doing and, and that's kind of where, where Peter is. It says, in fact, in, in verse 13, that the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. So it's gaining momentum. He jumped on the bandwagon and it's just getting fuller and fuller and fuller. Now it says that they joined him in his hypocrisy. Now, hypocrisy, uh, we like to say that there's a lot of hypocrites in Hollywood, don't we? Um, well, you know, there literally is. And it, there is in the bad sense, but there is in the good sense too, because... Because a hypocrite is somebody that play acts. That's the, the definition and description of the original Greek word. It means to play act. To pretend to be something that you're really not. Um, that's what these other Jews are doing. They're joining Peter in his hypocrisy. They're play acting. Peter is saying one thing, yet he's doing another. Because of fear, Peter has just floated along with the Judaizers instead of opposing him. Because it's prob probably because it's the easiest thing to do. Doesn't that happen in our culture? Um, it would be difficult to stand up against these people or against this group. Or they might sue us because we do this. And so we just, we just sort of back up and we just kind of go with whatever. Paul is saying, no, uh, no that's, that's wrong. Um, now, I must rewind us that, that this is the same Peter who denied Jesus for fear of a maidservant in a courtyard the night Jesus was crucified. So I don't know if Peter necessarily has a yellow streak in him. Maybe you kind of feel like you have a yellow streak in you. But I want to remind you that how, of how Peter died in the end. Um, Peter went through a process of failing and growing and failing and growing and succeeding and succeeding till the very end when he stood up for what he believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he himself, tradition says, was crucified upside down for what he believed. So in the end, he stood strong. And maybe some of that strength he learned from Paul along the way. So um, he did what he did because of fear. That's all we can gain from the text is he was afraid of something. Now, what was the result of what he did? Look at verse 13. It says that the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Even Barnabas was led astray. 
Um, his actions have potentially far-reaching ramifications within the church. Now, it doesn't say how many Jews there were that joined him in his hypocrisy, but it was enough that even Barnabas, even Barnabas who stood with Paul in Jerusalem in confronting Peter about this issue the first time. And, and remember at the beginning of chapter 2, it says that the, the, hand, the right hand of fellowship was extended to Paul and to Barnabas and to Titus in agreement. We're on the same team. We're all about the Gospel. There is only one Gospel. Now, Peter, you are taking the Gospel to those, who, uh, to those Jews who have been circumcised. Paul, you are taking the Gospel to the Gentiles. And Barnabas was on those missionary trips with Paul. And even Barnabas has been swayed by their hypocrisy. He knows what Peter believes and he knows what Paul believes. And he knows that they are the same, yet he begins separating himself from the Gentiles as well. The surge of hypocrisy is gaining momentum at this point, and who knows where it may have gone if Paul had not taken a stand. So now, number two, let's, let's take a look at Paul. Let's look at what Paul did. How did Paul respond to this situation? Paul, seeing this obvious contradiction in Peter, didn't sit idly by and just let things happen. It says that he opposed him to his face. Verse 11. Now, I'm not sure if we can read any sort of emotion into that or not. I know that in our present culture, if you say that you got in someone's face, it, it was pretty... Conf I mean, it was... Maybe it was with anger. I'm, I'm not sure that we can read that in here. He opposed Peter directly, verse 11 says. And verse 14 says that Paul did this in front of them all. I'm not sure if that was just the Judaizers or those that, that were practicing this hypocrisy. But Paul doesn't hesitate in letting Peter know that what he's doing is wrong. Peter, it's not right. Peter, you are an apostle. You are teaching and leading God's sheep, God's people. You are a pillar of the church. One who God has entrusted the message of the Gospel to the Jews to. And look what you're doing. Your actions don't match up with your words. And if the, pal if the pillars or foundations of the church aren't strong, the church becomes weak. Now this contradiction in Peter's behavior was a very public one. And, and I don't know, that could possibly be why um, it says that, that Paul confronted him or opposed him in front of them all. It could be that they were just all there when, when he had this conversation with Peter and they saw it. I don't think it's necessarily prescriptive. I don't think it's saying to us, this is how you should do this. This is how Paul did it. And, 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 and this is just the kind of open head-on collision with the church in our culture today that the church would seek to avoid, isn't it? it? It seems that way. It seems like there are churches all across our country who are having political and behavioral influences put on them and instead of causing any waves or causing any conflict, they're kind of shrinking back and, and not really taking a stand. And the Gospel is losing traction. The truth is losing traction. Paul didn't avoid it. He stood up for the truth. Now, why did he stand up for the truth here? Why did Paul oppose Peter? 
Why did he contradict a fellow apostle of Jesus Christ and do it publicly? Was it because he was arrogant and he couldn't control his temper? Was it because he was an exhibitionist who enjoyed an argument? Did he regard Peter as a dangerous rival so that he jumped at the opportunity to kind of throw him under the bus, as it were, in front of all of these people? No, none of these reasons motivate Paul. I think the answer is very simple here. Paul acted as he did out of a deep concern for the very principle which Peter lacked. He knew that the theological principle at stake was no trivial matter. If you remember back to uh, chapter 1, Paul says that, that this, this thought process of throwing circumcision in with the gospel, he says it condemns you. Um, Paul used very strong language in the first part of the book here. He knew that this theological matter, this principle, is the it's the main principle. It's the foundation on which our faith and practice is based on. It's the one truth that we must get right. Twice in this chapter, the Apostle Paul calls it the truth of the gospel. Um, this was the issue in Jerusalem in verse 5, and it is again the issue in Antioch in verse 14. But yet the Judaizers are still working hard to add things to the gospel. In Acts chapter 15, verse 1, they say, you can't be saved unless you're circumcised. It's impossible. And that's just not true. It's just not true. But instead of sticking to that truth, Peter was deviating from it. It was affecting his actions towards other people. He knew better, and he needed to get back on the right path. Now, our last point this morning deals with this theological doctrine. But before we go to that last point, um, let's look at what the result was. What was the outcome of this confrontation that occurred between Peter and Paul? Nowhere are we told that you know, they, they went over and, and you know, sat on the deck and, and had playful conversation after this. Uh, nor are we told that they never talked to one another again. Um, they were on the same mission. They were just in different mission fields. Uh, they continued to respect each other. Here, here is what we can, we can gather are the outcomes of this passage. And it's from the perspective of later history. It can be found in Acts. Because of this situation that we just saw this morning, this conflict between Paul and Peter... Um, they have a future meeting called the Council of Jerusalem. Um, it's in Acts chapter 15. I mentioned it briefly last week. Some think that Paul may have even written this letter to the Galatians on his way to have this council meeting in Jerusalem. So at a time after Paul confronts Peter, he and Barnabas and others, it says, were appointed to go to Jerusalem to take formal action against these Judaizers. And we know that a decision was reached by the Jerusalem Council confirming that circumcision is not a requirement for salvation, that it is through faith in Christ only that we are saved. And because Paul took a stand in Antioch against Peter, there was a great triumph for the gospel that day. Now, I can also, we can also assume that Paul operates out of the same manner in which he writes in other letters. And if we look in Ephesians chapter 4, 
and we read verses 14 and 15, Paul sums up the results of taking a stand. He says, when you take a stand, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. That seems to be what was happening to Peter and Barnabas and others who were sucked into this hypocrisy of adding circumcision to the gospel. Instead, Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. So as Christians, we can disagree with each other. We can debate. We can have conversations. But we must remember to base those conversations and those debates on the truth of the Gospel. Now I think it bears repeating that the Gospel is the good news that we sinners, guilty and under judgment, by God, may be pardoned and accepted by His sheer grace, His free and unmerited favor on the grounds of Christ's death and resurrection. Which brings us to our final point this morning concerning the truth of the gospel, and that's the doctrine of justification. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, what, Pastor Dave, is a doctrine, for one thing? Um, maybe you're new to church. Um, l- let me just give you a couple of definitions here really, really quickly. A doctrine is simply a rule or principle that forms the basis of a belief. Paul taught several doctrines. Justification is one of those. It's, it's a principle. It's, it's a rule. It's a truth. Now, theology is the study of religious faith, practice, and experience, especially the study of God and God's relation to the world. So, so on a Sunday morning, we'll talk about things in a theological sense. We speak theologically. We're, we're talking about God and how He interacts with us and how He loves us. And that theology is formed by many points of doctrine, of truth. Uh, in seminary, they like to refer to it as systematic theology. There's this system. There's this, there's this schematic. And, and as we're going through Galatians, we're seeing that the foundation, the foundation of the all things that we hold to, the bottom, uh, the bottom level of our theology is the doctrine of justification. It's central to Paul's teaching. It's central to to Christianity itself. Look at verse 15, Galatians chapter 2. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified justified. And then he goes on to say, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, and he goes on, the the verb justification occurs three times in verse 16, once in verse 17, and the noun justification occurs in verse 21. Now in the New International Version, you'll look down there and you'll say, Pastor Dave, there's no there's no word justification in verse 21. Well, the, the translators of the NIV chose to translate the Greek word for justification uh, as righteousness. Um, It's righteousness. It's the same Greek word, justification. And, And Peter himself had been justified by faith in Jesus. Paul acknowledged this. 
But he not only knew the doctrine of justification by faith, but he himself had acted because of it. Because he had been justified, his behavior was being shaped. And right now, at this moment in time, his behavior is not properly being shaped by the work of the gospel in his life. But it has before, because Peter no longer observes the Jewish food regulations. He's made it past that one. He's still growing. He's still learning. His, his traditions are still being challenged. So when it comes to justification, Paul explains that there's two ways in which it can... There's one way in which we try to do it, and there's one way in which it's really done. Uh, Paul says that justification does not happen by works of the law. It's not by works. It does not happen when we obey the law. Being circumcised was part of the law. It doesn't happen then. That's what the Judaizers were pushing. And again, Acts chapter 15, verse 1, that's what they said. The only way you can be saved is if you are circumcised. It doesn't happen that way. Um, not only that, but you've got to do everything the law says to do and not do everything the law says not to do. Paul says it's not by works. It's not by works. All of those things equal our own righteousness, our own attempts. And we know what the Bible says about our own righteousness. It's like filthy rags to be discarded. It, it doesn't hold up to anything. There isn't anything we can physically add to our belief in order to be justified. Just a, justification by works would simply say if you just would pull up your socks higher, pull up your boots higher, and just do it. Just be good enough. Try a bit harder. And you would succeed in winning your own salvation. But if that's the attitude that you have, you are in a fearful delusion because it is the biggest lie from the biggest liar the world has ever known. And that's Satan himself, whom Jesus called the father of lies in John chapter 8, verse 44. Nobody has ever been justified because of the law, for the simple reason that nobody has ever perfectly kept the law. But one. So if you're trying to get to heaven by being good, stop. Don't stop trying to be good. Stop trying to get to heaven by being good. Because it won't work. It will only burden you. Works won't work. But faith wills, Paul says. Paul says it's by faith. Our justification comes through faith. Jesus came into the world to live and to die. And in his life, his obedience to the law was perfect obedience. On earth, he lived the only life of sinless obedience to the law which has ever been lived. On the cross, he died and he paid the price for our law-breaking. Since the penalty for disobedience is death, all that is required of us to be justified, therefore, is to acknowledge our sin and helplessness, to repent of our years of trying to go it alone and our self-righteousness, and to put our whole trust and confidence in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Faith in Jesus Christ, then, is not intellectual conviction only, but personal commitment. Have you ever asked anybody, hey, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in God? Just about everyone you ask would say, yeah, I, I believe in God. 
I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I'm a good person. You ask him, are you going to heaven? Well, yeah, I think so. Why? Well, I don't really know. Paul says the only way is our faith in Christ. Now, I, I said this to a young man one time. I said, do you believe in Jesus? And he said, yeah. And I said, what does that look like? And he's like, oh, I, I don't know. I, I know that he existed. I know that... I said, you know, the Bible, the Bible says that even the demons believe that. The, believe, the, the demons believe that Jesus existed. The, believe in, the demons believe that Jesus died. The, the, the demons even believe and know that Jesus rose from the dead. What's missing? They've intellectually assented that he exists. They haven't surrendered their life to him. They haven't put their faith and trust in him as their Lord and Savior. Um, the middle, uh, the expression in the middle of verse 16 is literally, we have believed into Christ Jesus. It is an act of commitment, not just agreeing to the fact that Jesus lived and died, but running to Him for refuge and calling on Him for mercy. So we all have two ways of being justified, by works of the law or through faith in Jesus Christ. And three times over, Paul tells us that God's way is the second, not the first. He's in, his emphatic triple statement in verse 16 is intended to leave us in no doubt about this matter and as Luther often said, to beat it into our heads. Paul repeats this truth in Romans chapter 3, verse 20 when he says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we are made conscious of our sin. We know that we need Him because of the law. We are not saved through the law. I think it would be hard to find a more forceful statement about the truth of the Gospel and what it means and what we've seen in these first two chapters of the book of Galatians. It's insisted upon this doctrine of justification by the two leading apostles. They say, we know. It's confirmed from their own experience. They say, we have believed and it's endorsed by the sacred scriptures of the Old Testament. By works of the law shall no one be justified. And with this threefold guarantee, we should accept the biblical doctrine of justification and believe it. And not let our earthly self-righteousness keep us from faith in Christ. Don't think that you can save yourself if you'll just do all of the right things. Because you can't. You just can't. May we all trust in Christ and become united to Him, beginning a new life. For if we are in Christ, we are more than justified that on another day. So we are able to say with Paul in verse 20, look at it right there, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself me. That's your memory verse for the week and I would encourage you to memorize that, commit it to memory because it is true, it is the gospel and Pastor Ty in the Second Look video this week if you're new to North Hills we have a, a thing called Second Look on our website you go to northhillsbaptist.net and you click on Second Look and, and you click on the top one and Pastor Ty takes a second look at the sermon on Sunday and this week's Second Look is on verse 20 only he focuses everything that he talks about on verse 20. It's about 10 minutes long. Very well done. 
Uh, I really appreciate Ty and his effort week after week after week to do that. So, living in this new life in Christ, two, two final brief statements. Living this new life in Christ as Christ followers, we have believed, we have been justified. Let's be cautious not to repeat Peter's mistakes in our lives. Let's, let's not refuse to have fellowship with people based on things that are on the fringes around the gospel. You know, there are some churches that sprinkle instead of baptize. Let's not not have fellowship with them because, because that's what they do. There, there are some churches that, that practice something that's called confirmation. Well, you know, agree or disagree with that. Don't not have fellowship with them. Like I said earlier, don't walk down another aisle at Walmart because you don't want to talk to them because they believe differently than you do about some certain things. Paul is saying, look, right here, it is the Gospel. A number one, our justification. Let's not refuse to fellowship with people because they have a different color of skin than we do. Or they're from a different country than we are. Or because they don't come out of a certain social drawer. We usually think we come out of the top drawer. Let's not refuse to fellowship with him. That's what Peter was falling into. Now, there is a place for church discipline and churches and organizations do make their own rules. And many of those are an effort to, to help us to ensure People's salvation and people's justification as best we possibly can as human beings. It's difficult. We're not God. We don't truly know. But there's requirements to become a member of North Hills. Those have a purpose. There are reasons for those. Again, the problems arise when we avoid fellowship with others based on human wisdom and differences of practice. Maybe they do contemporary music and you only believe that hymns should be sung in a church. You know, look, I mean, that's okay. You can, it's okay if you want to think that. But let's not refuse to fellowship one another because of that. Because really, honestly, I may offend some people. Who cares what kind of music is it, it is? As, as long as it is glorifying to God. And it draws us into worship to Him. So let's walk according to the Gospel and let's not be afraid to oppose or disagree with those who deny the Gospel. Look, when the issue is trivial, let's be as pliable as possible, but when the truth of the Gospel is at stake, let's stand up and be firm. It is this. Paul and Peter, Jesus said this is the way it is. I thank God for Paul who withstood Peter to his face. I thank God for Athanasius who stood against the whole world when Christendom had embraced the Arian heresy. And for Luther who dared to challenge even the papacy of his time. We need men and women of this caliber today who know the truth Know the truth will set them free and are willing to stand firm in the face of opposition to that truth. Many are the vocal pressure groups in the contemporary church today who seek to add to the gospel. 
we must not be pushed into submission because of fear. If they oppose the truth of the gospel, we must not hesitate to oppose them. Again, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Cam, come up here and help me. I'm going to just show you a final illustration to help us again kind of understand what it means to put our faith in Jesus Christ. Kim, um, this is a chair. Yeah. Yeah. It's a chair. Yep. This is a microphone. I apparently can't, don't know how to use that either. Mute. Mute means to silence. <clears throat> All right. Here's a chair. Do you think, do you like this chair? I do. Can I, I take it home? I kind of like it. It's from my office. It's um, from your office? Do you, do you think this chair would hold you up if you were to sit in it? Uh, I, I would think so. Wow. It's good to inspect it. It's good to know what you're putting your faith in, I suppose. It's made in China. Although you didn't inspect the chair you sat in down there. I've sat in that one before. Oh. All right. So you, you, you intellectually believe that this chair would hold you up if you were to sit in it? Yeah. Okay. I can only assume that since it came out of your office, you've sat in it before. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I have sat in this chair. Uh, you have, may or may not have sat in that chair before? Okay, it's I have in sat. your office. I have sat in this chair. So you believe that it will hold your weight? Sit in it for me. I don't need to. Well, if you believe it will hold your weight, just sit in it. I don't need to. Why? Do you need me to prove in front of all these people that that chair will keep me up? I'm taking a stand. Nope. Sorry. I don't need to prove to all these people that that chair will keep me up. Is there anybody, is there anybody in this room that believes that chair would hold them up? Kayla, come up here. Oh, fine. I'll sit in the chair. Okay. See? You're not sitting in the chair. I'm on the chair. What more do no, you want from no, me? No, you're on the chair and you're on the floor. It's basically just holding my weight so that I don't fall over. Yeah, so you're like got some sort of... I'm like 90% on the chair. Yeah, exactly. 10% just holding me up. Right. So you, you don't still... You really don't believe this chair would hold you up or you would just sit in this chair. I know the chair will hold me up. But I am not going to just prove in front of everyone that the chair is going to hold me up because it's going to hold me up anyway. All right, everybody close your eyes. Okay? Just so it's not in front of you. Sit in it. That's what I thought. Kayla, come up here. How are you going to open your eyes again? Sit in this chair. Now, she doesn't have shoes on. Oh, ha, 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 ha. Maybe you're going to say it's my shoes now. Lift your feet up. She's not. Oh, see? The chair is holding her. And she put her complete and total trust in that chair to hold her up. She's not doing it now. In fact, she not only trusted the chair, unlike the person we had up here first service, she trusted me too. She <laughs> let me stand behind here <laughs> while uh, she sat that in the chair. Fun. She doesn't know you. That just 
Young oh, ignorance. You know what? It is so good to see you. I was thinking about you this week. It's good, great to have you. Are we talking about the chair or her missions? She just got back from Madagascar not too long ago. It's nice to see your face. Really? Okay, now, do you have another question for me? One final question? Um, I'll just tell you. Here, here's the deal. Okay. Kayla's saved. You are not. Why? No, 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 no. You can't assume that I, because I didn't sit in the chair, I'm not saved. Yes, I can. Uh-uh. Because you didn't put your full and complete trust in that chair. You don't know my heart. This is true. I don't. Just because but I didn't want to sit in the telling chair. Me, what you're telling me is saying that you intellectually assent to the truth that that chair would hold you up, but you have not put your faith and trust in that chair. Kaylee, you can go sit down. You can go sit down as well. I, I, I hope that helps you understand it a little bit better. Um, because there is this intellectual acknowledgement that, yeah, I believe in God, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. But the question then becomes, have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Now, Paul says, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that He is Lord, you will be saved. That's not believing that He exists and going to church every Sunday or taking communion once a month or whatever other thing that, that, that we all, I think, struggle with attaching to our salvation and to the gospel. It's in faith alone. Christ saves us. And I, and I pray that we, all of us in this room have been justified through faith. And if not, I would ask that you stop trying to work your way to heaven and believe, put your faith in Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You. Lord, thank You for Your Son, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that You would help us to be a church that, that loves You with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that loves our neighbors as ourselves, Lord, that that because of the justification that we receive from You in our faith, that that begins to work itself out in our life. Lord, help us. Help us to not be hypocrites. Help us not to play act, to say one thing on a Sunday morning and to act totally different on Monday or Friday or Saturday. May we learn and grow as Peter did. And Lord, maybe this morning was was You opposing us to our face and helping us to recognize some wayward ways in ourselves. But Lord, most of all, may we leave here celebrating the fact that You, that You love us and that You've come to rescue us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, as we close our service here,